0: Welcome back to the Coffee Clats Crew, Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
1: I'm Christina Lomangino, And today we're going to review episode four, The Door. Written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by Jack Bender.
0: That's right. We have another new director, which we have brought up. The last two episodes were from uh, a newbie.
1: Yep, Daniel Sackheim.
0: And this is one of two from Jack Bender. He's known for directing some episodes of Lost, Under the Dome, Sopranos, Carnival... And a plethora of others. He's been around.
1: Yeah, no wonder. I was a little nervous about having another new director, new to Game of Thrones anyway. But definitely experienced, and wow does it show. This episode was crazy.
0: It was a sad one, indeed. I left, like, I walked away actually sad. And I was like, great, now I have to work tomorrow. I feel like shit. And I didn't even want to watch the show that's after it.
1: It was really sad, really difficult to watch, but at the same time, compelling and fast-paced and just gives you a lot of information. It was really incredible on so many levels. It has to be one of the best, despite the fact that the tone of it was very very somber. Of course. That shows it got 7.89 million viewers, and Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 9.2 out of 10, the highest so far of the season. Oh, wow yeah, people really seem to enjoy it. Speaking of the directors, we'll talk later more about upcoming, but we were speculating who would do the rest of the season, what order that would wind up in. So 7 and 8 will be done by Mark Millard and 9 and 10 by Miguel Sapochnik, our tried-and-true Game of Thrones directors.
0: Yes. And uh, we always... Our favorites are 9, right? 9, the,
1: the penultimate, tends to be where the major things happen, the major battles, the big deaths. And 10 is good as well, but is very much a wrap up and get you ready for next season.
0: The big deaths. I feel like we've been having big deaths since episode 1. Like every episode someone dies.
1: And this At episode was almost a red wedding type of event. I mean, we really lost a whole chunk of people in one scene. Yeah. Let's do an overview, some general facts first, and then we can get into the episode. We have a lot to discuss. We'll try to move it along quickly. I have a feeling this is going to be a long episode. We'll talk first about the fact that we found some articles in other places speaking of Easter eggs and things that were hidden in the episode. Mm-hmm. A lot of which we had noticed, probably one of the biggest ones were the symbols and patterns that reoccur throughout the show. Benny often Weiss talked about in the inside the episode, This pattern that we see displayed in the north. So one of the very first scenes in the pilot episode, they show Will the Ranger, way up north of the wall, finding wildling body parts in an odd pattern that was displayed by the White Walkers. We see it again north of the wall with dead horses displayed in a spiral pattern. And again in this episode, by the heart tree, originally when the children are there and it's still green and springtime, and then later how it now lies in the lands of always winter. And this is, it seems, where the White Walkers had taken that baby early on, Craster's baby, to have that ritual, back to that same location.
0: You know, I was just thinking about that, the baby. I think there's still something that we're going to find out about that baby. I don't think that was just a one-shot thing. I think there's going to be something special about that particular walker. Mm-hmm. Because we know that their whole horde of army who uh, can't go through fire, uh, except for like the top five, mm-hmm. um, you know that they're they're brought back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Something special has to be taken from a living baby, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's a couple of important things you touched on in the show. They call those reanimated dead the skeletons whites. That's W-I-G-H-T. Okay. And the lead class, the White Walkers, which is a little bit confusing. the, The verbiage is not very distinct for each of them. George had intended them to have different names. He called the reincarnated Whites, but the Walkers he called Neverborn, which makes a lot of sense now because they are not a culture of their own. They are not a people that just existed. They were made by the children. Right. So they were never born of their own. They were created as a weapon. So I like his wordage. I want to call them never born from now on. And I'm wondering if they were trying to do the same thing, create new never born out of these children, right. the way that the children did for them.
0: Perhaps. That would make sense.
1: And it also begs the question of, because of the way they were created, what will be different about killing them? We've seen that most of the never born can be killed with dragon glass. Mm-hmm. We saw Sam kill one, then John, and now in this episode, we saw Mira spear one. Which, right. Case so we wrote, have a
0: never born down. That's two down. Three down. Three down. Yep.
1: However, the main guy that the show is calling the Knights King, mm-hmm. because he was the first one created, and now we know he was made out of dragon glass. We saw the children put that into him, right, right. into his heart, and he became one. Does logic say that should kill him or it should not kill him because it is what made him?
0: You know, it would be pretty poetic. What has made you can kill you. So I guess it could still work.
1: Absolutely. It would also be very interesting if he was different and he was going to be harder to kill eventually. And there's something more to that story about taking him down.
0: Well, we know they're impervious to fire, but they're not impervious to dragon uh, stone, you said?
1: Yeah, well, here's another interesting thing. So they're impervious to regular steel, Mm -hmm. so regular blades don't kill them, we've seen. But they can be hurt by dragon steel or dragon glass. So that's the obsidian daggers or the valyrian steel swords.
0: So they're both dragon. Okay. So Um, what about dragon fire?
1: Exactly. So regular fire doesn't hurt them, but might dragon fire not hurt them? I think some of this might still be a little confusing if you don't have all of the history of where did these children come from, how did this all sort of come about. I'd like to give you a little bit of history. If you don't want to know some of this stuff, you can tune out for a few minutes. Most of this comes from the book that George put out, The World of Ice and Fire. Okay. He describes how the first humans began migrating to Westeros 12,000 years ago. Their coming initiated the wars of the First Men between the men and the children of the forest, that lasted around 2,000 years. They were warring a long time. The children were gradually pushed back by numerous and larger humans until, in desperation, they finally resorted to various magical superweapons, so they called them. One of these was called the Hammer of the Waters. They actually used it to break the Arm of Dorne, which was a land bridge that existed at one time between Westeros and Essos. It kind of connected the two continents. Oh, wow. Now we see a whole chain of islands that leads up to the peninsula of Dorne because of what they did to it. And that was because the humans, the first men, were coming over on that landmass. So they wanted to destroy it to stop the influx. Huh. They also tried to use this same hammer to flood the Neck region, which is the area that leads from the south to the north of Westeros. Um, kind of like... Where we see the phrase, they have their castle, the twins, and then Moat Kaelin, which we've seen on the show before. Interestingly enough, it didn't really work. They were unsuccessful. It only created bogs and swampy area. And that's where we know the reeds are from. Um, So why were they able to withstand such a crazy weapon? And is there something special to that region that we talked about last episode, the neck and the reeds? And do they figure in more? That's kind of cool. So anyway, they were really trying to fight these first men. Finally, about 10,000 years ago, they made a peace with something they called the Pact. This was where representatives of both met, and they agreed that all of the open land, field, shores, and mountains would be the domain of the first men. The deep forest would remain undisturbed for the children, and no more werewoods would be cut down. And to commemorate this, the children carved the faces into each of the weirwood trees where they met on this island. Now, all seems well and good. They have a peace going on. 2,000 years after that, which is about 8,000 years ago, for our story, the White Walkers first appear. By the time of the Long Night, the White Walkers were killing all living things. They had turned on the children. They were driven back. Only when the children united with the first men in what they called the War for the Dawn, were they able to actually push them back and then they built the wall, which they imbued with magic to keep them out. This begs the question, why did they create the White Walker so long after this piece was finally made with the First Men?
0: Well, what we saw was them creating the walkers and the Three-Eyed Raven mm-hmm. say to them that they were created because... To fight off the men, right?
1: Right. They need to win this this war.
0: So that might have been before the first time that they resolved it. And then the White Walker was, like, either on their side or went off and then started building his army and it took him Turned that long. against them, yeah.
1: started to amass more people. Maybe they had them under control for a while. Exactly. Makes sense because we do know that before then they were creating these weapons, these super weapons, while they were in the middle of that war. So maybe they were just trying all this stuff and something got away from them.
0: Yeah. Made from man, it's funny enough.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> Made from the children's magic and a man's body. Yeah. So we discussed that a lot when we finally got the backstory of the White Walkers. Would they actually be all bad? What would their people, their culture be like? Which it turns out, they don't have one. Martin calls them a race of living weapons. They were created by others, so they are not an independent people. But they are not all bad either. I mean, this was a mistake of the children, who you can kind of see their point of view. Their lands were being invaded, their trees chopped down, they were being killed. They were doing everything they could to try to hold on to their home country. And these never born, never asked to be created. It's not their fault for what they are. Um, I just wonder why they decided, the children that is, to create a race that was essentially winter, cold and ice. What what brought them to this type of
0: weapon? Maybe desperation. Um, Maybe, what was there, like five or six... In uh, Brand's flashback, maybe that was the last of them.
1: Well, we know that there was more
0: at the time. Oh, at the time—that's true. So You're they right. they
1: did lose some to the battles with the first men. Then, when the children and the first men finally teamed up to fight the walkers, they lost some more. But there was still a decent amount. We don't know exactly how many. It wasn't until two thousand years later. So they have this war. They push them back. Everything's good again. Now the Andal invasion happens. So a lot of people were confused, thinking that the first men and the Andals were the same peoples. Right. Well, the first men were there 12,000 years ago. I mean, other than the children, they really are the first inhabitants of Westeros. It wasn't until 2,000 years after this is all resolved that other people come over. They're tall, fair-haired, from an island off of Essos called Andalos. They worship the faith of the Seven. so up until now you have the children with their nature spirits and whatnot even the first men worshiped old gods It wasn't until the andals came over and they had stars carved into their flesh and they supposedly had their religion um, spoke to them and told them the things they needed to do and that's when they came over to the west and began conquering everything Everything south of the Neck, they were killing everyone. They displaced the first men. They exterminated all but a handful of children who fled north beyond the wall. And they were especially ruthless to the children because they saw them as an abomination in the eyes of their gods. (laughs) So I feel like this is really important to talk about right now. That, yeah, there was bloodshed and there was war, but things weren't really bad until these people came over with this religious zeal. These fanatics, almost, with a worship for the faith of the seven, that things really got bad. And is that some kind of indicator? Because now here again, we see these faith militant with stars carved into their head, taking over King's Landing. A war is imminent Uh, It can't be coincidence that this is happening at the same time of what's going on north with the walkers and the children. So we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to our north location. Let's jump into our episode. The title meaning for this episode is clearly obvious for the door. We know that it comes from the scene with Hodor and we do know that this will be book canon. Mm-hmm. So what happens with Hodor, the death, that whole thing did come directly from George R.R. R. Martin. He did tell D.B. and Weiss about that. This is not a show-only creation.
0: So this is coming out in the book that's coming out?
1: Winds of Winter, okay. correct. In this episode, we did not see King's Landing, which this is the first of only six episodes in the entirety of Game of Thrones that King's Landing was not present in an episode. Oh, wow. Uh, We didn't see Winterfell and Ramsay. We didn't see Sam and Gilly, and we didn't see anybody from Dorne.
0: Dorne.
1: I'm wondering if both George and the show Game of Thrones have sort of lost control of Dorne. (laughs) It seems like, I, I hope that it comes back in a meaningful way, but it seems to have kind of gotten away from the two of them, and they don't know what to do with it.
0: What's Dorne again? Which one's that?
1: Dorne is the location far to the south where we saw the Sand Snakes last oh, right. kill yeah. the Prince.
0: Well, that storyline's probably pretty summed up.
1: That's not what the books have led us no? to believe, unless things okay. do take like a drastic change very early on in Book Six, which is um, entirely possible.
0: But you also mentioned you noticed that uh, the way this season has been opening and closing the episodes
1: oh yes well first of all the title sequence does seem to kind of be reflecting locations that will be important to the episode but also as far as what they're showing in the episode up until episode five we had opened and closed every single episode at the north And that's very unusual for so many episodes to not only have a location so steadily in it, but to open and close upon it. Wasn't until the last one where we closed on Daenerys, Mm -hmm. having her very big moment. Uh, So I wonder if that's going to be indicative of our major players.
0: I wish every episode left me feeling the way I felt episode four.
1: (laughs) It was a great moment for her. You feel
0: good. You feel like, yeah, we're making progress. Yeah. Uh, Nope.
1: Well, that leads us to our in memoriam. The deaths of the episode included the three-eyed raven, the white walker, that's unnamed, the child leaf, summer, and hodor.
0: Well, I think a bunch of the children, I think all of them are dead now. But in but we but didn't leaf know them. But leaf
1: is the main one that we yeah. saw get killed here. New faces and places. Just one important one that I can think of. That's our new character, Kinvara. Her full title, High Priestess of the Red Temple of Volantis, Flame of Truth, Light of Wisdom, and First Servant of the Lord of Light. Man, she's like Daenerys here. She's got a title longer than I can even say. Uh, We wonder what that means, First Servant of the Lord of Light. We don't know exactly if there is an order
0: it seems it though. to
1: these priests now, in the books, there was a high priest for each one of the free cities, and it didn't seem like they exactly had a hierarchy amongst themselves. It could be that it's something to do just with her relationship to the Lord of light, that she has more, more visions, power. more power. We're not really sure
0: what's with the uh the witches what do, what do we call them queens of light
1: uh, the priestesses
0: what's with all them having like very nice boobs. <laughs> You notice?
1: Well, they're all young and attractive. And we have seen from Melisandre that this could just be due to their magic. If they're that high up in the order, Mm -hmm. they could all be like we saw that Melisandre is really, really old. And this is how they get to be so good is that they've been around.
0: So technically, they have magic boobs. Is that what you're saying?
1: I'm saying those boobs you're seeing aren't even real.
0: (laughs) If it feels real and looks real, it's real to me. Stannis
1: thought they were real. Well, part of that we joke, but part of it um, actually is due to this magic. We see that Kinvara is wearing a necklace very similar to the one Melisandre has. And we know this is not just a motif of the high priestesses, because we've seen the same motif on Quaith. That woman that came to give Danny prophecy when she was at the House of the Undying in Karth. she wore a mask over her face, a lacquered mask, and it was very similar, if you look at the style of the necklace with that square shapes and the lacquered material to her mask and some of the things she was wearing.
0: When was that? I don't remember her.
1: Oh, Quaith. She wore the mask that completely covered her face. And when Danny was in Carth, the first location she arrived at after her trip through the Red Waste... And those priests with the blue lips had stolen her dragons. Oh, yes. There was a woman that came to her with a mask over her face. She gave her all these prophecies. Yeah. Now, she was from a place called Ashai that we've discussed before, this place where all these crazy things happen, and they have knowledge of magic and dragons and everything else. The red priests are from there. Quaith was also from there. So we think it's a motif from there, not specific to this religion. Okay It's their magic, a magic.
0: I was actually gonna I was gonna say since these uh, priestesses have been around forever, obviously because they're really <coughs> old mm-hmm. um, were maybe they were part of the initial new people coming in for the war. maybe they're part of that war.
1: They could have been I think they've been around way long before that, before anything. I think they're the creation, the source of magic, mm-hmm. or at least. Maybe some of the dark magic. Hmm. We don't really know enough about them yet. Anyway, back to Kinvara. So where we say that each free city has its own high priest, she comes from Volantis. And the reason that's important is their temple is the most massive. It is three times the size of the great sept of Baelor that's in King's Landing. And that's due to the fact that Volantis... In that city, the religion is very popular, the Lord of Light, because of their vast slave population. So even though it's a quote-unquote free city, Mm -hmm. slaves outnumber, masters like five to one, and they all worship the Lord of Light.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So what she says has power. Uh, Tyrion and Varys asking her to spread the word, not just amongst her city, but to all the other priests, is going to have a lot of meaning if all these people are hearing this message.
0: It's essentially little birdies again.
1: Yeah, it's more than little birds. Yeah, but absolutely. All right, so let's go through locations. We can start at the wall where we see Sansa and Brienne taking a trip to Molestown so that Sansa can confront Littlefinger. She asks him if he knew what Ramsey was, and she explains what he did to her. She really seems to need him to get it, yeah, to pay for it on an emotional level. She's convinced that he knew about Ramsey all along.
0: Well, he's being very flippant, like, "Oh, my bad." I'm so glad you're doing well, though.
1: I don't know if he didn't think she was going to put it together that he did know beforehand. If she was just going to buy it when he came in and was like, I really didn't know. I didn't know what he was. I think he was trying to
0: do his normal charismatic thing and like persuade her. I know you're upset. I really didn't know. But look, I'm going to help you. Mm -hmm. Like, Try to steer it that way.
1: She wasn't having it. She wasn't having it. He begs for forgiveness. He offers support from the Vale to retake Winterfell, which I kind of thought was going to be enough that she needed that army so bad. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's not, she declines.
0: So we were wrong on that. I thought for sure that we we're. this is like step one and like within the next two episodes we were gonna see them go south with this whole war. I mean army.
1: I still think those forces are gonna come into play but it's gonna be after they go to River Run and something happens there and they can't get enough men in the north or whatever it is that they do wind up needing him.
0: Of course. Well, he reveals
1: to her here, speaking of that, that her great-uncle Brynden Blackfish, who I've been saying, where is this guy? I mean, he escaped the Red Wedding. We think so did Edmure, although he wasn't mentioned here, Catelyn's brother, Edmure. Um, Brynden is Catelyn's uncle, and apparently he has gathered the Tully forces and retaken River Run. We assume that was under the Frey's control. We don't really know who he took it back from, but apparently he's good now. And so Sansa decides to send Brienne to gather the troops up. A couple of problems here. A, I don't think they're going to have as many men as Sansa is anticipating. Whatever he was able to gather, it's not going to be enough of a force. Of course. And B, he doesn't know Brienne from a hole in the wall. I mean, this could be, first of all, very dangerous for her traveling alone to get there. I don't know. I just, it feels like we're being set up for problems with
0: Brienne. Uh, Yeah, I think she's going to die soon. She's, okay, we're going to lose another good one.
1: And I thought she was really going to go, not all the way to the end, but pretty far, (laughs) given how strong she's been, and given the fact that we saw her only begin to serve Catelyn. Right. And now finally discover Sansa and has sworn that oath, and this is the way she can continue to fulfill her obligation. By serving Sansa in this way. So I thought as long as Sansa was a player, we'd see her around for a while.
0: Right away, she's not. I don't know. Hey, uh, what happened to the little dude that was with Brienne last season? Brienne. Oh, Pod. Yeah.
1: Pod. Yeah, I think he's still with her. I think he's going to go with her on this recruiting mission. I believe that he rode out of Castle Black with Brienne at the end of the episode. I believe. Oh, okay. She's been kind of under the radar. Well, we do go back to Castle Black, where Jon, Sansa, and Davos discuss strategy. How are they going to take Winterfell back? So they talk about the fact that they don't have three of their strongest supporters that have been loyal to the Starks for a long time now, those being the Boltons, the Karstarks, and the Umbers. If, in fact, the Karstarks and the Umbers have gone over to the Boltons, we'll just assume that for now. That means they're going to need pretty much all of the other northern houses, since they're a lot smaller, to come to their aid. One of the bigger ones are the Manderlys of White Harbor, we talked about last episode, the Mormonts of Bear Island, we know who they are, and the Tullys. Now, Santa lies to John when she tells him about the Tullys. Yeah. She says that she found out about Brynden recapturing the forces from a letter that Ramsay got, instead of from Littlefinger. Why does she do that?
0: I don't know. I mean, she trusts him, maybe because... She sees how um, insecure he is about the amount of people that they have, and she thinks that if she tells him, he's gonna be like, "Oh, we gotta get them. Why not? Let's have them. We need that army." Okay. Maybe that's it. It's probably deeper than that, hmm. but.
1: Well, or is it that she really doesn't trust Littlefinger herself, and so they're going on bad information as it is, but she can't admit that. She can't oh, maybe. tell him that, like. We're going off of what he said, but I don't even trust him. So, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, Sansa. That's true. I'm not sure. I think she is also setting herself up to be in trouble again. I feel like she's going down a road that's going to be dangerous eventually.
0: Well, they are literally going down a road that's going to be <laughs> dangerous eventually.
1: And dangerous for the men they're leaving behind. Now, we know that Jon, Davos, Sansa, Melisandra, Tormund, they're all leaving. But how much of the Wildling army are they taking with them? Because right now they're going on a recruiting mission, essentially, to these northern houses. So I don't know if the Wildling army is actually traveling with them. That would seem kind of foolish. But it does appear when they're pulling out that Ed is like waving goodbye with about 20 Night's Watch, and that's it. They're leading you to believe the wall is being left completely undefended. So I don't know how this is working out. Uh,
0: I don't know either. It's not very smart what they're doing.
1: I feel like the better idea, and maybe they are doing this, I I can't really tell, would be to leave the Wildlings there for now to help the Night's Watch defend while they try to rally the northern houses. Then when they need everybody, they go take Winterfell and bring everybody back.
0: That's what I'm hoping. To the wall. But you know Game of Thrones. Even if they got somewhere close to that, the White Walkers would get through.
1: Yeah, and they're really leaving you with this ominous... Feeling for Ed as they pan back and they show just these couple of guys standing around Castle Black. Um, John telling Ed that he is the acting Lord Commander, so yep. the temporary guy. I'm not
0: lo- close the damn case.
1: <laughs> Wait a second. I am. Shit. <laughs> Poor Ed. I feel really bad for him, but there was a bit of a joke made. Mm-hmm. before John left. Yeah. I don't know if you caught that.
0: Yeah, no one's... There's, uh, no one knocked on wood, so...
1: Um, make sure it doesn't...
0: Make sure the wall doesn't come down while come I'm gone. Come down
1: while I'm gone. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. would have been
0: like, knock on wood?
1: Fuck, <laughs> dude. I hope that was nothing more than a joke.
0: Which job would you rather have? Stay at the wall with very limited people knowing what's coming or go fight that ramsey fight
1: i mean to be honest with you if this was me i probably would really want to fight ramsey just because he's such an evil shit that you Mm -hmm. want to see him taken down but i actually feel like barring something crazy john and sansa's mission is going to be more dangerous because we know that the wall kind of defends itself especially against white walkers there is some kind of magic that keeps them from being able to pass the wall right so barring the actual freaking wall coming down it's not wildlings that we have to worry about anymore, where they could no. be, like, scaling the walls or whatever. It's not just the height that's keeping them out, but the magic.
0: It has to be magic, because we've seen those walkers, like, climb like spiders. Remember that?
1: Yeah. When the children created it, we know that they imbued the wall with magic to keep them out. Right. So I don't even know how they're planning on getting through.
0: But the children are dead. Is the magic still there? Good
1: question. Good question. Or is there, like, one child left alive somewhere and as long as they are? Or were they, like, things that were cast that that's still there? You know, like spells, like they're still around even right. if the children die. But now, I don't know if you remember, in one of the past seasons, we heard Mance Raider, the King Beyond the Wall, talking about a horn, the Horn of Joramund, that supposedly, when blown, could bring down the wall. And he kind of said later, we never had that or is that even real? We were just trying to get you guys scared by saying we had that. But they do talk about that in the books. We don't know exactly what it is or if it can actually take down the wall. But short of that, I mean, what are they planning to do, these White Walkers? You have to think they have some sort of plan to get past the wall, right? Of course. All right, that's all very scary. So let's get out of there for a minute and go over to the Iron Islands thought this was really interesting we see the king's moot actually taking place so Yara makes her claim to the salt throne doubt is really being cast on her she's not doing so well initially the people are talking about they've never had a female ruler and besides the one male heir has returned so why would she be ruler and not Theon but he steps up and supports her
0: he does well surprisingly
1: the tide is actually being turned. We yeah. kept saying, what could Theon do to help her here? But it's working. <laughs> Until King Shit, mm-hmm. Euron, comes up to make his claim.
0: King Euron. <laughs> King Crow's
1: go. Eye, who he's not Crow's Eye in the TV. I am so angry with the actor they picked to portray him. It doesn't work. This is nothing like what they described in the books. This, like, tall, fierce man with dark hair and scars, and he's got this eye patch over one eye because we don't even think there's an eye under there from all the shit that he's been through. Oh, wow. He's really intimidating-looking. Nothing like this dude. Well, this dude strolls up, blatantly admits that he murdered Balon Greyjoy, and he's got no qualms about it. He's saying, well, yeah, I killed him. He led the Ironborn into ruin. And without him... I'm gonna make sure we conquer Westeros, build the greatest fleet that's ever been seen, and by the way, I'm going over to marry Danny and get her dragons.
0: Well, I just can't believe how quickly this mob of people just like, yay! Oh. Okay, yeah, yeah, you! Wait, what? <laughs> Maybe you? Oh no, yes, you! <laughs>
1: What's funny is that's actually exactly how it happened in the books. Yeah. It was m- way more drawn out because there was a lot of other contenders. Mm-hmm. First, you had your little men coming up. You know, everybody's going to make a claim to the throne. This one little guy from this small house with a couple of ships, and they would do this exact thing. They would talk about what they're going to do as king. And then they would have to make an offering and they would pour out whatever they had brought. The poorer men were just like, dumping out seashells and seaweed. And everyone's like, all right, no, you're not cool. You can't be the iron ruler. then the next guy up would have something a little bit more flashy. and, And so it built its way up. Right. And the crowd did exactly that. Oh, we're kind of into what they're saying. Oh, no, okay, who's next? Until finally it came down to Yara was there. Euron was there. There was somebody else there. Another brother that doesn't exist on the TV show.
0: Another brother.
1: Victarion Greyjoy. And apparently they're just going to roll him right into Yara's character. And we're never going to meet him. But what's interesting to know is that we got a little bit more of Yuri's backstory. The bad guy, Euron. In the books, he was exiled from the Iron Islands for raping Victarion's wife. This other brother that's omitted. And the only reason that Balon wouldn't let Victarion kill Euron was that kinslaying is accursed by the gods. This is something we're not allowed to do. But basically, nobody liked Euron. The priests all despised him because he was an ungodly man. And they brought up the same problems with him, that he's been away from Pike and the Iron Islands for a long time. It's Yara that's been here helping. Another big thing was that Theon was not present at the King's Moot in the books. This is a really big thing because after she doesn't win and Euron does win and he sends her away and she's supposed to marry this other guy that she's never going to marry and she's trying to figure out how can we turn this around? How can we get him off the throne potentially? And her friend comes up to her, Tristopher, and says that one time a while back in the past, a king's moot was actually ruled unlawful and overturned. Because the old king's son was away at sea at the time and wasn't allowed to present his candidacy at the king's moot, so the decision was turned back around. And in the books, she's thinking, well, Theon wasn't there, so maybe we could do the same thing and overturn this and have another king's moot. Oh. So they were setting you up for something with that in the books, and I don't know how that's going to roll out, but apparently that's not happening here. Now also, what happens after Euron much gets elected the people decide yeah this is good we want him doesn't matter that he murdered Balon he's chosen to be the king Uh, during his coronation I guess where he is drowned because this is part of their ritual to have to be drowned and come back to life Uh, in the books by the way they were resuscitated they were just kind of left there staring at him to see if that would work although we hadn't seen a king drowned so maybe it's different for them
0: I just thought it'd be funny if he didn't wake up, and they would be like, oh, (laughs) shit, where's the chick?
1: Guess you're not, King. Hey, Yara, (laughs) get back here. Well, no time for that, though, because Yara and Theon are fleeing. They're just running, taking off with some of their loyalists and the best ships, and they're piecing it out of there.
0: Where do you think they're going?
1: Well, I was just going to say, this is kind of true to what happens in the books, that so each vassal house, the smaller houses on the islands, had their own fleet, but they were smaller ships, not as good. Then they had the Iron Fleet, which numbered about a hundred ships, much larger and much better. And those were sworn directly to the ruler. Right. So we assume that's what they took. They the, took the bigger b- ones, best part of the fleet, the Hell bigger yeah. ships, and the loyal servants. And I think that they're just going to try to beat Euron to the punch and go find Danny. So. <laughs> Because what she needs Mm -hmm. is a fleet. She needs ships. And they know that? I think Euron knew that she needed ships because he was saying he was going to offer her the best fleet and his hand in marriage. Okay. So in their minds, they're thinking, well, she doesn't want your damn hand in marriage, but she probably does want these ships. So, you know, we got to get out of here because he wants to murder us. Maybe it's a good place to go to see if she wants.
0: So they're willing to fight to have another Targaryen in the crown. And then what are they going to be like the hand?
1: I think that, yeah, they're going to try to position themselves that if she is the person that can conquer and win, mm-hmm. this is their chance to finally carve out a bigger piece for the iron islands and the Greyjoys. joys.
0: Iron islands. They seem like they're a little poor, right? So maybe this will bring in money that thinking can-
1: basically, I mean, the thing is they don't have anything of their own. They don't, grow their own crops they don't make their own clothes anything they have is from what they steal they're basically pirates oh okay they have fleets of ships and their motto is we do not sow we conquer
0: do you think while they're uh sailing Mm -hmm. do you think that theon is going to try to convince his sister to go help the Starks in the north yeah
1: I don't know that she would ever be able to do that because he would ever be able to do that because Yara was the one to tell him, you can't hold Winterfell. This isn't what we do. Our strength is at sea with our ships. You can take that castle, do what we always do, sack it, take what's good for it and leave. But you can't hold it. So all the more, if they're not even going to get anything out of it, I don't know how he would talk her into fighting somebody else's battle.
0: So he, he bails on the Starks again. That's three times?
1: I don't know. Is there a long-range goal in mind to help? I'm not sure, but now they're going even further away on an even longer mission. Unless he just asks her, maybe, can I take one or two of these ships? I have a purpose that I need to go fix, and I know that I'm asking for a lot, but you can take the rest of the ships, go try to sail east, but I have to go help
0: out the Starks. Maybe. I don't think so, because that's pretty much what he said to go back to his land. Mm-hmm. I have a purpose, yeah, so maybe not
1: seems unlikely
0: Well, how about how about this new cat what's this new dude's name again the patch urine, yeah, urine
1: without the patch <laughs> urine
0: um, I love how nonchalant he's like, all right, I want everyone to build me a thousand ships and uh get me this, this, and this, and he's speaking as if like it'll take a week,
1: <laughs> not only that, they don't have enough trees on these islands to maybe even make 100 ships. Wow. I mean, 100 ships was the total iron fleet up until now. Jeez. So they've wants a definitely stretched it for TV purposes. And yeah, there's no way this is happening anytime soon. I think just what else is he going to do now in the position he's found himself? He has to still make them believe that he was the right man and he's gonna do something good for them. He can't just say, Oh, they just pieced out of here with our best ships. We're really screwed. You just elected me.
0: So essentially by the time he's ready, it might it might not be about the King's War anymore. It might be about killing walkers. So then he comes in with his fleet and we I end don't
1: up think he gives a shit, but maybe Well, he's
0: gonna have to if everyone's dying from maybe. these white walkers. Yeah. I mean, there's no way that they can turn around in two episodes or three and have him sailing away. I'll be really pissed.
1: True. But if the White Walkers can't cross water, which it seems like they can't, maybe they're safe on the Iron Islands. So They've may- never cared about the rest of the kingdom.
0: Well, maybe they have to make a moat in front of the wall then. <laughs> Start digging, bitches. Start it's frozen, digging. though. Okay. Oh,
1: geez. Well, talking about how people fit into the storyline, I would love your impressions and any of our listeners out there, let's go over to Bravos because I want to talk about Arya. I'm starting to get frustrated. We see her continue to spar and lose to the waif, which, by the way, Jaqen comes in in a minute. Does it turn out that they're really not the same person? Is there really a waif? Is there really a Jaqen? They do seem different now again.
0: I don't know. I don't think we're supposed to know. I mean, it's obvious that that chick is a bitch to Arya. And she's always been. But maybe that chick wasn't, maybe that chick was jarkin, jocken, Uh When uh, she was blind outside. Maybe Jharkin became her right. during that.
1: Interchangeable. I, I don't know. It's very weird. Well, he tells her the history of the faceless men, which actually is interesting. And it's similar to what we hear in the books. The Faceless Men originated as slaves in Valyria, where they were worked to death in the vast mines to feed their masters' ever-expanding hunger for resources. It was so bad that over time they came to see death as a gift to release fellow slaves from their suffering, and in time they honed their skills so that they could give their gift to the masters too. After killing them, they found a new home in the Narrow Sea and they founded Braavos.
0: Oh, wow. So Where'd that all was that, money come from?
1: that was true of the slaves. It wasn't actually the faceless men who founded Bravos. They came a little bit later, but they did wind up becoming very important to Bravos. I'm not sure where the money came from originally. Maybe they took it from all the masters they killed.
0: Oh, there we go.
1: Um, either way, we now see Jockin giving Arya a new assignment, a last chance, basically. Yeah. She's being asked to kill an actress named Lady Crane, who plays Cersei in the play that's being put on in town. In the books, this play is called The Bloody Hand. And it talks about what happens, basically, the whole beginning of Game of Thrones with...
0: Well, in a jokey manner.
1: Ned's death. And, well, absolutely, it's a parody. And clearly, they've gotten a lot of things wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of the elements are right, but we see how when stories are kind of filtered down through the people over time, yeah, these things get misconstrued, and this eventually becomes the history that people know. So are people, after enough time, going to think that Ned was a
0: power-hungry,
1: dim-witted idiot? Maybe. Arya is clearly uncomfortable watching this. It's interesting in the parallel that she is not in the play. She's one of the characters who actually was there in King's Landing at the time, but not represented because where was she when Ned was beheaded? She was actually in the crowd watching him as she is now, again, watching the play.
0: That's deep, bro.
1: Only, you know, she didn't see Ned actually get executed.
0: Right. When it happened for real. She had uh, an ally there.
1: Yeah, so she's watching it, not that it's real now, but to her, you have to figure this is bringing up a lot of emotions, yeah. taking her back to that moment. She keeps her cool, though. She goes and she learns a little bit more about these actors, and it makes her doubtful yet again. So she goes back to Jockin and says she has misgivings about killing this lady crane because she doesn't seem like a bad person. And Arya's really having trouble getting it.
0: Yeah, a lady doesn't care who she's assigned to a lady does what she's been told
1: right he scolds her this is not when are you gonna learn we're not killing her because she's a bad person this isn't like your kill list right (laughs) this is different this is the faceless god there's a name on the list you don't need to know why you just need to kill her
0: but i still think that there is a reason why she just doesn't need to know like i don't think that they just kill anybody that they're asked to I think there's a deeper reason. I don't think
1: so either, but the reason is not necessarily going to be that they're bad people. And that's what she wants to hear. Okay. She wants to hear it makes sense why this person should die. Now, there might be a greater meaning to the faceless God for balance, but she might not like that. This person might be a good person. It's
0: not her duty to know it either, yeah.
1: And I don't know if she's ever going to be able to really accept that. She's acting like she is here, and she's saying she's going to do it. She has a plan, but I think it's going to be a problem.
0: I think we need to start moving forward with her storyline.
1: That's what I was saying about being frustrated. We have see her not even really improve that much. Whereas in the book, she was getting better at all of these yeah. things. She had learned so much from being blind, how to use her other senses. She was becoming a great fighter. She was becoming hardened and kind of getting over to this way of thinking a little more. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing that on the show yet. And I'm wondering, even if she does become great, if mm-hmm. we finally get this turnaround, which, God, please let it happen soon, where does she fit into the storyline? I've asked that a lot And I know that the ultimate goal is supposed to be for Danny to come to Westeros. Come to Westeros, join the fray, beat the White Walkers. What if she doesn't? What if her purpose is in Essos? Mm -hmm. And we keep saying, prince that was promised, is it Jon or is it Danny? And how do they tie in together? Are they going to clash? Are they going to fight? Are they going to marry? What if they don't anything? Mm -hmm. What if it is both of them? But Jon's purposes in Westeros and Danny's purposes in Essos, and they have two separate storylines.
0: And the whole resolve is that there's no longer one king. Perhaps. That'd be well, cool.
1: Well, I mean, Essos never had; they were never ruled by this king. Well, true. Essos is this whole separate continent. But yeah. yeah, if they each bring peace to their own continents and their own lands in their own way, and Danny does rule over these free cities and continue to fight for that, and. John continues to fight the White Walkers in Westeros. And they're both the leaders that we've been looking for. And if so, maybe Arya's storyline continues in Essos as well.
0: Maybe, but then they're going to get us interested. I have to say that uh, every time I look at Arya, I think of Doctor Who. (laughs) Because she was in this most recent season.
1: And she was called me. me, Yep. Right? Yeah. So
0: a girl is no one
1: and a girl is me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's trippy. And she had a whole deep storyline in there too.
1: She did pretty well with that.
0: She did very well. And she was more badass.
1: Yeah. Well, perhaps that's what's coming. So not too much to say about that. Let's go over to Vase Dothrak and Marine. First in Vaze Dothrak, we see a really short scene. But so poignant. Dora reveals his grayscale to Danny and finally yep. admits his love for her. She then orders him to find a cure and return to her side to help her conquer Westeros. I mean, this was a really
0: moving scene. It was nice. I actually liked it.
1: I was really happy to hear them finally being open with each other about their feelings. Dario's just sort of sitting there like, okay, (laughs) did I have this wrong? Because I feel like a third wheel now. You guys actually sort of love each other. I know Danny didn't say it, but she basically did in her own way. Say, I need you. I need you here with me. She cried. I mean, this is the most emotional we've seen her get in a long time. And she wants him to try to cure himself. I'm a little nervous about that. In the books, grayscale kills very slowly. I mean, it can take years for somebody to die from it. It seems to be happening a lot faster on the show, or at least a lot faster with Jorah. And also, while people can be cured, there's no reliable method. It's sort of like these maesters just keep trying things until maybe sometimes it works. And it's a lot more effective in children than in adults. So I'm not sure where this is going to take him or if he's going to have the time to find that cure. But it felt a little like goodbye.
0: Yeah, but it was a nice way of saying goodbye. Instead of him just walking off, it gives us hope that there might be something. Yeah. What if a dragon just, like, breathes a little bit of fire on that part of his hand? He just burns arm. it off. My, my resolve for everything is, the dragon's fire. Here,
1: I'll, I'll take care of that for you, dude. Just, just like, just, uh, just give me your arm. It's fine. Drakaris.
0: <laughs> well, if it is the last that we see of him, I think it was a good wrap-up of, like, he was a badass... And even in his pain, he went and found her and kind of saved her. She saved herself, really. But, um, and then he. He, he still has something in his life to do, which mm-hmm. is find the cure for her. So it's still for her. And he walks off. Even if we never see him again, that's a good storyline, nice wrap-up for him.
1: Yeah, well, and she saved herself. But honestly, I think his presence there when he showed up did a lot for her confidence and her emotional well-being that she could do it. I mean, ever since he saw her emerge the first time from the fire, mm-hmm. we know that he betrayed her initially, but he has been one of her biggest supporters and really believed in her, not just as a ruler, but... This person that has a higher purpose and is meant to do something that he can get behind. Yeah. And I'm almost a little sad that after we see him go, now it's Dario riding beside her when they go off to lead these Dithraki back home. It's like she had Jorah, this great leader, then she had Barriston, this really awesome man, and now it's Dario. So I'm just excited for her to get back to Tyrion.
0: You still don't like Dario, huh?
1: I don't trust Dario.
0: Yeah, you think that he might be part of uh, the Rebellion? The Sons of the Harpy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or that he wants to get with her because that's powerful. I I don't know that he's a true believer like all these other people are. I know something changed when he saw her emerge from that fire. Yeah. But is it just more lustiness for her power and her dragons? I, I, I don't know. Lustiness. <laughs> well, talking about Tyrion, though, uh, there's a lot going on in Marine as well, or a lack of things going on, because apparently this pact kind of worked. No slaves or masters have been killed. There's an uneasy peace in Marine for now. However, that doesn't seem to be enough for Tyrion because they're not attributing this to Danny. The people aren't getting it the support isn't going to her for doing that right so he wants to make sure that that happens and his idea is to have the support of the prominent religion in the area that's why he calls this priestess Kinvara there turns out that they don't have to do a lot of convincing because they already believe along with most of the people from their religion that Danny is the one the chosen one
0: the prince that was promised except for Melisandre she thinks that it's John
1: Yeah, and Varys brings that up, right? That's part of why he's dubious. He's like, listen, your people have spread this message before. They said it was Stannis. They were totally wrong about that. Now they think it's somebody else. I don't know if he knows that she thinks it's Jon now, but, you know, on top of all of the skepticism that he has after everything that he's been through, this is the first time we see Tyrion can't rein him in. Varys just walks right all over him. He's like, listen, Tyrion, just shut up here. I got a point to make we don't trust these damn red priestesses because I've had experience with sorcery and this shit ain't right. Yeah, He's making some pretty good points and we do remember that intense story that he told us about when he was cut and the sorcerer who probably was a second rate sorcerer as she tells us. But nonetheless, it kind of worked because when he threw Varys' man parts on the fire, a voice spoke to him.
0: And said, nice cock.
1: Uh, Kinvara knows this story. She's telling Varys all about this thing that happened to him that nobody knew. I, I think he only ever told Tyrion. It's the right. only person that story he ever told. So I don't think she could have gotten the information beforehand from somebody else. She either saw it in the flames before she came to this meeting or she knows some kind of mind reading. She's that powerful one way or the other. Or she
0: was the voice. Oh. Uh.
1: Either any of those options leads you to she's freaking powerful. If we thought Melisandre was powerful, I think this bitch has got. I'm
0: ready for some fucking magic. God damn it! Yeah. Um, one thing I think that's important to note is how hard Tyrion and Varys are fighting for Danny. Oh yeah. They haven't been there that long, but it feels like they, you know, this is like their place and they are fighting really hard. They believe in her. You know what I mean? Like the, how just as diligent as he was in King's Landing, he's being diligent here.
1: Yes. I think you're, you got to separate them out for this because Varys has been a Targaryen supporter for a really long time. He was a supporter of the Targaryen kings before Robert's Rebellion. I think he always wanted them back in power. And I think that he has been working ever since he heard about Danny to eventually get to her and support her. So it it makes sense for him that he never really left this regime, so to speak. For Tyrion, I think it's twofold. Like you said, A, he's not going to go somewhere and take up this position and not do it well. It's not in him. It's like when he told that story about his father giving him that bullshit task when he was younger to take care of all the sewers. Casterly Rock, and even though it was meant to be a degrading job, he walked out of that a short time later saying, well, the sewers never ran better than after that. So he was going to do it well. But I think after he left King's Landing and went through this horrible journey of coming over the sea and being in a barrel and coming to terms with killing his father and everything else, hit his rock bottom, thought there was nothing left to live for, When Varys told him about Daenerys, he really finally kind of bought into this. as something else to believe in. And then he came over here and he saw her. And my goodness, when he saw the dragons, (laughs) he is like, over time, sold on her. Even though he doesn't know her that well. He wants to believe in this. He's hopeful for something that could mean something.
0: Okay. That explains that.
1: So... I'm going to be really happy when they finally link back up together, but I'm very, very nervous about them soliciting the help of the priestesses. Yeah. We've seen how Melisandre's magic can get dark and Mm -hmm. how Stannis was almost brainwashed and brought over to this way with her where it was like, he thought he was using her, but eventually it was almost like she was using him and, where does that begin and end? We've also seen the people of King's Landing bring in religion to quote unquote help them, and yeah. it completely gets out of control. I mean, I just don't know if this is the smart move to ally yourself with religious fanatics. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Any kind of fanatic. Yeah. Really?
1: I think maybe Varys is supposed to be speaking for us like, hang on a second. Are we really thinking this through? Couldn't this be dangerous? Yeah, maybe. Let's go to our last location, the most impactful, the craziest of the episode, in the north. We start out with the raven showing Bran one last full vision, basically, of how the White Walkers were formed. We see that the Night's King was actually made by the Children of the Forest. This is their weapon. They created it with the dragonglass dagger. Leaf explains they did it to fight against the war. But after that, Bran goes into another vision without guidance, like we knew he was going to do on his own, going rogue. Apparently, this wasn't supposed to be in the past. This was supposed to be in the present. So people said, why did he go there? I don't think he knew where he was going. I think he went in there trying to see more about his dad and his past, and the tree took him to this place. Yeah. That was apparently present time, where the Night's King and his entire army was – and as Bran is walking through, the Knights King reaches out and touches him. And amazingly enough, it leaves a mark on him, an icy scar, in the present. And the raven tells us, well, he can track you now. And actually, he can enter our fortress now. So I don't know how that happens. I could see I actually predicted that he was going to be able to find Bran by visiting him in this visit, right. vision. It was some kind of tracking thing. But I had no idea this was going to, like, cancel the tree magic I mean, I don't know how that works. Because he's already
0: inside, essentially. I guess so,
1: through his mind?
0: Well, he touched him, so, like, a piece of him is on him, yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. That's crazy.
0: Because you saw that his hand mark was there still.
1: Yeah.
0: (sighs) Wow. Well, talk about a fuck-up. Like, how do you apologize for that?
1: Bran really screwed the pooch here. Yeah. But again, was that always supposed to happen? Was it always coming down to this? And it's unavoidable
0: but the three eyed raven i think knew that this was going to happen right that's what i mean so why why didn't you tell him like listen you can't go without me if you go without me something bad's going to happen i've seen it you see that we can see shit don't do it i
1: think it's- he did tell him you can't stay too long you can't go without me
0: but say it tell him straight up kids don't know
1: <sighs> yeah i think
0: if you see a white walker and you're alone there was no stopping get the it. hell out that's
1: what i mean because the raven saw this happen It's always gonna happen. So that's what I mean. What's occurring here is what's called a stable time loop. So, yeah, eventually we're seeing Bran go back, and it appears as though he's changing the past, and he kind of is, but it already happened. It was always going to happen. You can't change the timeline, you can't go back and redo it. It's not like back to the future. Or Doctor Who, where potentially we can go back in there to the past and change something and it ripples all the way to the future and makes a different present. No, this has already happened. He's already done this in the past. It's already affected the present. We can't change that. We just don't know it yet. The Raven Mm -hmm. does know it. He knows that Bran is just coming here to finally fulfill that time loop and do what he was always supposed to do. And that sucks. Yes. (laughs) But we can't do anything about it. So even if he had warned Bran, it wouldn't have made a difference. This would have somehow happened anyway. I just don't think that the Raven knew it was going to happen here and now. I think he thought he had more time to show Bran some more stuff because we do see that... Once Bran learns that and he knows what's going on, the raven is like desperate to transfer the knowledge to him. He's like, you got to become me now. You have to be the new raven. And he was uploading visions as quick as he could. So that's what was going on here. I was wondering why did he go to this one last vision with Hodor? Like other than Hodor being there and this needing to happen, what was important to show him there? But I think he had given him a lot more visions than that. We just didn't have time to see it. Bran couldn't process it all yet. So I think you're going to get more visions through Bran in the future that the raven he uploaded uploading. here. Yeah.
0: One would argue that um, not that he knew that this was going to happen, quote-unquote, with mm-hmm. Hodor. Maybe this happened with Hodor because of him, and he knew the only person that can help him get out of this yeah. right now is Hodor. Yeah. So He's got to
1: go to that vision quick.
0: Exactly. So it's not a result of Bran. It's a result of the three-eyed raven saying, I need Hodor to help.
1: One way or the other. He knew this was going to happen. So if you attribute that to, to Bran, to Hodor, to the raven, to all three, the raven knew about that. Yeah. And knew he had to get him to that vision or Bran would die. Hodor was the only way to save him. So, yeah, inside of the cave now, Mira feels it getting cold. Uh, She goes outside to find this army of whites, and we realize that the children can no longer protect the tree. The cave is being overrun. Now we go back to Bran in the vision, witnessing his father leaving for the veil. This is that scene we were talking about with the young Hodor looking on, and something crazy happens. Bran hears Mira's cries in present-day cave inside of his vision, and he splits his consciousness.
0: That's crazy part How of him
1: he is. oh my god part of him remains in the vision with the raven but part of him goes into the present to warg into present day hodor to help them fight in the cave it's crazy i don't even know if the raven knew i mean he must have known he could do this but yeah. Bran's powers are all of a sudden being revealed to us to be completely on another level at the same time the night's king is trying to enter we see summer killed defending against the whites
0: yeah I'm, another
1: i'm gonna go back to that later because okay. honestly i know people are crying over hodor and i'm really sad i'm really sad about all of this but summer hit me harder than anything because it's almost like these direwolf deaths are being lost in the fray and people don't realize how important they are yeah i know the show has not given you that they've been cool they've been almost like dogs yeah. In the show, these very faithful companions. But they were so much more in the books. They were so magical. The connection was so strong. Especially to Bran. This wolf was vital. You just lost. You think you lost a lot in Hodor. You lost way more than that with Summer.
0: He's got no protection now, really. Just that one woman.
1: He lost. Okay. We'll get we'll get more into that later. We're going to get really upset. Uh, so Summer dies defending him. And the Knights King does eventually get in and he kills the Raven. And that's where we see the Raven kind of disappear from Bran's mm. vision.
0: Yeah, that was a cool effect.
1: Leaf does her part by holding off the whites. She throws herself into that fray and kills herself at the same time so she can take a bunch of them out. And Mira and Hodor are dragging Bran outside, outside of the door. <laughs> Where on the other side, Mira orders Hodor to hold the door against the Whites as they flee to safety. Hold the door! You know we see that inside of the vision, Brand wargs into past Hodor. Yep. Did we even know that such a thing was possible?
0: It's crazy. So now he's like, he's warg and warging, warging in the
1: past, and this is what causes Inception. Little Willis to have a seizure in that moment. And with Bran inside of his head, he can hear present-day Mira's echoes, these orders to hold the door. Yeah. And it was so strong, and probably a mind such as his, I mean, as if it weren't powerful enough, he just couldn't process it. And it broke him down, broke him down to the simpler man that we see, you know, today, where all he can say is Hodor.
0: He has a seizure, and he just keeps, so he hears that voice, hold the door, hold the door. And that just kind of engulfs his brain. Mm-hmm. The actor, the kid actor who does that, oh, did man. an amazing job. I mean, the the directing, the cinematography of that, the the editing of that was mm-hmm. so strong. It was perfect. It, it made a huge impact on your emotions.
1: Yeah, going from hold the door to hold the door to hold the door.
0: Yeah. And the way the kid was moving, it was just, it was perfectly done. It and didn't it, feel cheesy.
1: It so matched up to older Hodor, too. Yeah. You know, like it was very streamlined that you could believe that was present day
0: Hodor when he was a kid. It made me, like, right away miss Hodor. Cause, like, I didn't really miss him. He was, he was, a, like, he was a cool dude. It was fun to, like, see him kick some butt. Mm-hmm. But I never really thought about how, how, how is Hodor doing? But now that I see what happened to him and I know his story and watching him die like that, that scene where he's just holding it and he's getting scratched at from Mm -hmm. the walkers and he's just holding it and holding it with all his might.
1: He would do anything to protect Bran. He somehow knows, right, even though he is sort of a broken man, how important Bran is yeah, and that he has to do this for him.
0: It like broke my heart watching that scene.
1: On top of the fact that it's his friend and he would die for him, but he seems to know it's bigger than that and yeah. he has to do this this Crazy. was always his life mission to do this
0: do you think hodor himself pieces together at that at that time
1: that it was he bran he... who is responsible yeah i think some part of him maybe does yeah like he
0: did you think he remembered oh man when i was a kid that's when i heard this voice hold the door and hold i the felt door. something yeah
1: I think some part of him realizes, but I don't think he would ever hold it against him. No. He wants to help him. He doesn't care. Yeah. How much does Bran going to be impacted now, knowing that he did this to Hodor is really the bigger question.
0: And that his wolf is gone. How do
1: you live with that? And it's crazy because at the same time that we're saying, we see all this power that he's gaining and how much stronger he's becoming with the magic... It's also highlighted how much more broken he seems now because yeah. he doesn't have Hodor to carry him around and fight for him. He doesn't have Summer that he can warg into to save him in these tough spots. He doesn't even have Jojin, his spiritual guru guide, to tell him about that. That's he right. doesn't have the raven anymore to teach him. He doesn't have Leaf, the child of the forest, to fight with nature magic for him. He has nothing, nothing. but Mira.
0: You know, I, I said last podcast that uh, I felt like when the three-eyed raven was talking to him, the look in his eyes when he was, like, saying everything was, like, you're going to feel a lot of pain, and this is part of it.
1: He knew it was coming. Yeah. He knew it was coming for the kid, and there was nothing he can do. So I, I want to go to Watch first before our raven rating because it is so poignant for this episode.
0: Yeah, before we do that, I want to point out, like, these children – of the corn
1: (laughs) okay children of the forest
0: i felt like they didn't really display how strong they are i mean they were throwing pretty cool like little bombs that's all well and good but i feel like there should have been more magic to it they should have been prepared to fight these fucking walkers should have known okay well this fire ring that we're going to do the big guys are going to be able to come in and eventually they all come in um what about these bombs? What if they put these bombs, valerium steel, in it? That Wouldn't that result in better? That's a like, good so idea. So you throw a bomb and explodes all these chards of valerium so steel. So it hits them. And kills them. That's a really good idea.
1: Well, that's why I wanted to redo the backstory of the history Mm -hmm. so you could hear because they were so, so powerful back in the day that they had all of this amazing nature magic and could do all of these crazy things. And they created these super weapons, which eventually one of them becomes responsible for making the White Walkers. Now, look at how powerful the White Walkers are. They are only the creation of the children. So that goes to show you how strong the children actually were that they made this thing, this weapon that really got away from them. And I think that's the point. As powerful as they were, it got so away from them somehow that they eventually needed to team up with these men, the first men to fight them. They lost a lot. It wasn't until they built this gigantic fucking wall to just keep them out, keep them contained. I mean, you saw what the north looked like before this. It wasn't always this cold, barren wasteland. It was a verdant green valley with grass and flowers that heart tree that we saw in the middle of the white walkers current uh altar their lair their thing whatever now yeah that's where that vision was this green grassy place yeah so it wasn't until they came that this whole land became the lands of always winter in the north and this Barren wasteland. So, you know, the children were these badasses at one point in time, and it got away from them. It got to the point where there was only a handful of them that even escaped north of the wall all these years ago. So I was thinking maybe eventually we're going to find these other children that are hanging out somewhere, but that might not be the case. Maybe they couldn't fight back because it was just these couple of them. This was all that was left. We might have just seen the extinction of a race. Crazy. That's been around for like 15,000 odd years or more. (laughs) That might have just been the last of them that died to save Bran. So all the more that just drives home the point of how epic this is, they knew what they had done. They'd created this thing that had almost ruined the world once, was coming back to do it again. And there's only one person that can stop that. And we have to save him. Mm-hmm. Now, that's all well and good. That's epic. Everybody amazing died to do that. The kid is right outside of the fucking tree with Mira and a sled. And all of these people are still right there. Yeah. So where did we get him? Because he, like, you can't see him in the misty snow anymore. He's safe. They're in the middle of nowhere. They almost died trying to get here in the first place with all that help.
0: Yeah. And they don't have anything on them. It's the two Food of was. them. Yeah.
1: Where are they going to go? Back to the wall. Do you know how far that is? <clears throat> good God. He's not safe. No. Not yet. So I think somebody has to show up now. There's no way he survives unless somebody comes out of nowhere to help him. So who is that going to be? That's, that's what's been on my mind lately.
0: That's a good question. I
1: think back to these crackpot theories of where did Benjamin Stark go who went north of the Wall, ranging oh, right. yeah. his uncle. And people say that's out of control, but somebody's got to come.
0: Yep. Do you want to talk about what the theories are floating around with Bran? About Bran? Yeah.
1: Yeah, let's hear it. All
0: right, so some people are theorizing that Bran's whispers are what drive the Mad King Aerys to madness. As anyone knowledgeable on Westeros lore knows, the campaign to depose the Targaryens began with... When he killed Ned Stark's father and brother, Ricard and Brandon, mm-hmm. with fire, mm-hmm. Ares was known for repeatedly saying, burn them all. According to the theory, the reason why Ares keeps repeating that phrase is because Bran traveled back and tried to warn him of the approaching White Walkers.
1: Burn the Walkers.
0: Yep. Instead, the whispers only heighten Ares' already uncontrollable paranoia, leading him to kill the Starks and start the cycle of warfare that still continues in Westeros?
1: It's a good question. I mean, I, I have been dismissing that since I heard it, that he affected the Mad King. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, how this was Daenerys's father, the Mad King, who ruled Westeros right up until before Game of Thrones happened, Robert's Rebellion happened, and Robert took over, and we had a little peace, and then the show opened. So... We also discuss at the culmination of that, how Ares was inside of the castle, holding himself up, going mad, convinced he had enemies on all sides. Mm-hmm. He was already a little crazy. Uh, there weren't any dragons around anymore, but they did have the wildfire that a lot of the Targaryens kind of went crazy over. Right. That was very, very dangerous, and he was particularly fond of that. So he brought... Rickard Stark, Ned's father, and his brother down to King's Landing, they came there to try to help out, and he roasted them alive. He roasted the father alive in the armor while the other one had to watch. Um, it really did seem like this paranoia had come over him, and he wanted to take the wildfire and kill everybody, kill everybody in the city, all of these enemies, just take them all out. And that's when Jamie came in and realized this dude is nuts. This is Mm -hmm. totally out of control. He does want to roast everybody. He needs to be taken out. Right. Um, But it is possible that that's what was happening. I mean, we know the Targaryens were all... (laughs) They had that possibility of being crazy. Some of them were totally mad. A lot of them did just want to burn everything with their dragons or with wildfire, and this is what I've been talking about, being really worried for Danny about following that path. So it wasn't something completely new to Ares. If it was, I think I'd buy into that a lot more, but I think it could still be possible.
0: And then there's that weird theory that uh, Brandon's, all the Brandon Starks in the family are Bran. Mm.
1: Yeah, so there's been a lot of...
0: Bran the Builder...
1: Stark's throughout history named Brandon.
0: So maybe these great achievements were by Bran, like whispering to them what to do. I don't know about that one.
1: Bran the builder and Bran the breaker. So supposedly Bran the builder helped to build the wall. Right. Um, and that could have been him. And I think, again, I dismissed that, but the evidence they're using is that quote from old Nan back in the day, which is kind of powerful when you think of it this way. Uh, what is it that she said? <clears throat>
0: Uh, she sometimes confused him with his uncle brandon who was killed by the mad king before bran was even born she had lived so long mother had told him once that all the brandon starks had become one person in her head hmm
1: it's not in exactly maybe like maybe he's
0: whispering so he doesn't he's n- maybe he whispers to her eventually but he's not all of those mhm first of all we don't have time for that he's if he had like 3 years to get better at this shit he would be the it would be
1: really interesting to see that unfold at a slower pace and all of these things that could tie in and maybe will in George's books. Uh, but on the show, I think we're going to have to glaze over a lot of that. Yeah. So here's another thing where the the book could be different and you could get a lot more of that unfolding and, and kind of tying things in together, yeah. which would be nice.
0: Uh, I do have to say I loved the actor who played Three-Eyed Raven.
1: Oh, he's fantastic.
0: He was also Obi-Wan in Star Wars. Um, and he was pretty much the same kind of character where he has to sacrifice himself mm-hmm. for the greater good Absolutely. Or for somebody else. Um, Easter egg? Okay. The the tree we see in the flashback with the carving of the face mm-hmm. when they're about to make the white walker. yep. Yep. That face is a little different from uh, the other tree faces that we see. And... Uh, It's actually, it looks like three-eyed raven's face. Oh, wow. And uh, if you guys want to Google it, just Google like three-eyed raven's face in tree, you'll see and do a comparison. It looks very similar.
1: Yeah, I can see the resemblance when you show me the picture. I didn't catch that in the episode, but I did notice that whenever we have seen faces carved, there was like a similarity to what they looked like, and this does look a little different.
0: So maybe he still lives in there. Hey, look, I'm gonna throw a wrench mm-hmm. in this. What if the three-eyed raven is Bran? Oh, just older.
1: He's always been Bran. Yeah, He'll I don't always know. Always become Bran. I don't really how believe that. But how are they existing together in that moment? How, why not? Because it's not his body anymore. I don't know.
0: Well, yeah, he's in the tree. He's part of the tree. Comes back in time through the tree. <laughs> But he's so powerful, he embodies it.
1: I'm not going to be able to understand anymore. (laughs) It's going to go away from me. But I do think it's entirely possible that when we saw him disappear in the vision, he wasn't all gone, that his spirit has gone into the tree, kind of like when Bran wargs into other things and Mm -hmm. the body doesn't matter anymore. So Bran might still be able to have connections to him. And he'll
0: hear whispers.
1: Yeah. So I don't think that's the end of that situation there. Maybe
0: the forest helps him. You were would saying be what, cool. what the, the hell we gonna do? Itself. Yeah,
1: that would be really cool. I do think somebody else though is gonna come into this. Yeah, I mean, you even talked about things coming back as reanimated yep. dead. Like, could direwolves come back as? I was whites? actually gonna
0: bring that up. If that, if what's that? Winter? Summer. Summer.
1: <laughs> Ooh. Like the slip there, Summer dies and come back as As dead Summer, who's now Winter.
0: But Bran can still warg into her. Yes. And that's how Bran takes him out.
1: And potentially, Summer's not even bad. Like, he still has allegiance to Bran, even dead. That'd be awesome. So, maybe he still helps him.
0: I hope so, because this show has not pressed how awesome they are. And, like... They're always like, they help out a little bit here and there, and then they just die.
1: Yeah, so let me go there now for our Wolf okay, Watch. Okay, let's do it. Because we did lose summer, and this is so major, and a lot of the show watchers might not realize that, but there was this really intense connection from the very beginning we talked about. All of these things with Brand working into summer and uh, what they had together. So I thought it was really cool that in an interview with Isaac Hempstead Wright, The actor that plays Mm Bran, they asked him about this, you know, how does this feel, like what does it mean for Bran? The actor said, Summer was a relic from the time of Bran's father. He's a reminder of Ned and the Stark way. Summer was also Bran's first connection to this strange, mystical world. There's a very deep connection there. For Bran to lose him, especially after coming this far and having successfully escaped so many close calls, it's a crushing blow it's like losing a piece of himself. Mm. And I think that's true. You have lost a piece of brand here.
0: I think so, yeah.
1: It's more than just like losing a pet. You've lost your protector, you've lost your link to this magical world, a piece of yourself. I mean, when Bran fell from that tower and lost his legs and his ability to walk, the only thing that kept him going was that he could warg into summer and run and be free and be a wolf. And when he was in him, he felt like a wolf. And when he came back, a piece of that wolf remained in Bran. So it's really, really a big moment to lose him. And not only that, it means we're left with two dire wolves. Only one confirmed left alive. We know that Ghost is alive. We are assuming Nymeria is alive because she's still alive in the books for a very long time and we hear about her and we haven't seen anything about her death.
0: We, al- we also are assuming that...
1: We also kind of think that might not have been Shaggy Dog. Right. I'm getting nervous that we haven't gone back to yeah. that and I don't know <laughs> what's happening, but it's a potential. But either way you're really losing the number count here on the direwolves. So that's
0: made me a bit sad. And pissed off. We had dragons and wolves. Those were the magic animals. Yeah. We barely get dragons. We barely get wolves. And wolves just keep dying.
1: Well, and I'm going to be sad if it turns out to be all about the dragons and the direwolves just all die. I mean, that was a really big connection to the Starks, who we love. and Yeah. You know, we don't want to lose. It feels like losing Starks when we lose that. It feels like losing the North.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Let's go over to our Raven rating. What do you give this episode as a whole?
0: I got to give it a nine. I thought it was was an amazing episode.
1: High five because it's the first episode we are in agreement. I give it a nine as well.
0: I mean, even though it made me, it left me feeling saddened as if like someone in my family died. Mm -hmm. But I guess that's result of a great episode um i like it better when it ends happily but the storyline progressed tremendously Mm -hmm. we had a lot of change of guard and um the so many more questions to be answered and uh, so many more doubts now this is the one show where i'm doubting that the good guy wins
1: well If it's taught you anything, it's that there is no good guy, bad guys. So we're all so upset. We're like, we need the good guy to win, but who is the good guy? We've made everything so gray that even Bran is not really all good anymore. Look at what we've just seen happen
0: because of him. Yeah, but White Walkers are bad.
1: (laughs) But not really.
0: Because they were created?
1: They didn't even ask for any of this.
0: Well, why why do they want to kill now?
1: this is what the children made them. They can't oh. be anything else. Okay. You know, there's just so much gray there. I mean, I, I, but I totally agree. I had almost the same notes for why I gave this episode a nine. And I'm really excited that, I was very nervous where this season would go without the books to go off of anymore, and even the sad moments and the moments where I'm upset, it's just being handled so well mm-hmm. that I'm I'm really happy about that. Okay. Great episode. We gave it a nine, highest of the season thus far, so for this week, who owns the throne?
0: Oh. <laughs> I've been picking bad people. Uh... You go first.
1: Oh, you're not gonna like mine.
0: You go. I
1: thought about a lot of different things. You know, I thought about you should definitely give it to Hodor. I kind of thought you were gonna do that.
0: Actually,
1: that's right. Yeah. Um, you can't really give it to the big, good people this week because neither John nor Danny was really that.
0: No. Pre-
1: prevalent. I'm gonna give it to an oddball, Kinvara, the Red Priestess, because I think. There's so much more to that story and mm-hmm. think she's super powerful. I think she could be super dangerous, but she does seem to be supporting Danny right now. Her quotes really got to me. She said, everyone is what they are and where they are for a reason. Even terrible things happen for a reason. We serve the same queen. If you are her true friend, you have nothing to fear from me. Like... Ah, I don't know. She's just, she's mysterious. She's magical. She's a great introduction of a new character this week.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to find out how her story unfolds. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to go Hodor.
1: <laughs> he, stole, he
0: stole the scene. That's the memorable, when you think back of certain parts, you know, when this is all over, you, there's no way you're going to remember all the details. You'll remember when Ned Stark loses his head.
1: To Red Wedding.
0: You'll remember the march with um, the direwolf and the stick. Mm -hmm. How fucked up that was. Red Wedding, yes. Um, All of Targaryen, all of Dany's badassery, Mm -hmm. the three times. And uh, you're going to remember this.
1: Yeah.
0: Hold the door. Well, forever, there's going to be t-shirts that say hold the door. (laughs) Of
1: course there are. There's going to be t-shirts tomorrow that say that.
0: There's going to be, you know... um, what are those things that those things that keep doors open? Door they stoppers. Door stoppers with oh Hodor's my goodness, face on it. With
1: Hodor. It. You shouldn't have just said that on a podcast because <laughs> you could definitely have trademarked that.
0: <laughs> I don't oh. think we can trademark a something we don't own. Hodor. Well,
1: people are gonna find a way to put that on a shirt. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, true. they don't own hold the door, so.
0: Well, we're gonna make that shirt.
1: <laughs> it was definitely an epic, epic scene, epic episode. A really. I'm excited now to see what comes next. Upcoming, let's do a sneak peek through the hard tree talking about what comes next. Episode six is entitled Blood of My Blood. The description is an old foe comes back into the picture. Gilly meets Sam's family. Arya faces a difficult choice and Jamie faces off against the High Sparrow. Oh boy. So it is not over yet, folks.
0: <laughs> blood of my blood though.
1: Blood of my blood is the Tathraki saying. We remember back to when Kaldrogo was still around, and he had his blood riders, his people that All were right. with him that were sort of like brothers and, and part of him, even though they weren't actually connected in that way. They mm-hmm. were family, and so they would call each other blood of my blood.
0: So we're going to get some epic Danny scenes?
1: Uh, yeah, potentially, and other people that are like... Relationships in that way, I guess. Okay. That they're blood because of their trials and their allegiance to each other, even if they're not blood relatives, family-wise.
0: Jon Snow and Daenerys. No, Jon Snow and, and Sansa. Sansa. It's
1: interesting. You're only my half brother. That was highlighted last episode by Littlefinger.
0: You're only my half brother.
1: Yeah, I think I think that could have some far-reaching tie-ins. So that's going to be interesting to see.
0: Well, we've gone long. It's an hour 33.
1: We had a lot to talk about.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Hats off to Jack Bender. Can't wait to see what he does with episode six.
0: If you have any concerns, questions, or anything you want to relate about this episode, let us know on our Facebook page or email us at contact at com. And again, tell your friends about us. Spread the word. We need to build our army to go to war.
1: Winter's still coming.
0: Till next time, this rounds on me. This round is on me. in Please hang up and try again.